Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. It's great to see you on this uh, Sunday morning. We've been looking at Jesus Christ above all, and we've been saying that as a part of this series, what we're really after is we want to see Christ as He is, and that means seeing all that Christ is. We've uh, acknowledged that because of the uniqueness of Jesus' life, his, the way He lives, the very essence of His life calls out of us a couple of questions. Who is this and what does this life mean? Who is this and what does this life mean? Now, we've acknowledged that the New Testament doesn't give us a single description of what Jesus looked like physically, but the power of who he was in terms of his character is what draws out of us this set of questions. That Jesus has had an extraordinary impact on humanity cannot be gainsaid. I don't know if you know this or not, but not only has Jesus left his mark on our Western society such that the individual matters and life matters uh, to us, even though we are in a secular set of, of uh, societies in the West, even though that is the, the, uh, the case, and, and uh, uh, even though his uh, uh, influence might seem to be diminishing still in all of our institutions. The core values ultimately flow out of his teachings, but it's not just in the West that Jesus has had influence. Today in our nation, in our uh, world, there is not a continent, there is not a culture in which Christianity has not become established. In fact, percentage-wise, there are more Christians today globally than there have ever been in human history. 19,000 people a, a, a day give their lives to Christ, and some 50 million people come to Christ every single year. And so the influence of Christ and the influence of Christianity is a global phenomenon. No faith expression has more influence, more reach than Christianity. No single human life has made a greater difference or had a greater impact than the life of Jesus. And so we're asking the question, why is that and how is that? I love what uh, James Franklin once said famously about Christ. He said, all the armies that ever marched, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned have not had the impact of this solitary life, the life of Jesus. So Jesus is extraordinary. His life, his person, his character are what raise these questions that we've been seeking to answer from the uh, New Testament letter of Paul to the Colossians. Who is this and what does his life mean? Which, of course, echoes a question that he asked of his own disciples. Do you remember at, at, a, at a critical part of his own ministry, he said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said in response, 
you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We've watched you, we've seen your character, we've seen your power, and this is the conclusion we've come to. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now last week, last week we, we were making the point of how important it is, uh, how we answer that question, who, who do you say that I am? I shared with you a, a survey that LifeWay Research had done of uh, American evangelicals, six questions. I gave you that survey. How many of you are here for that? All right, good. Glad you're back. I want to walk you through that survey. I want to give you this week. Remember last week I promised to give you the right answers. And then I want to report to you on how you answered these questions. Here we go. God the Father and Jesus Christ are equally divine. Is that true or false? 15% of you answered true. 85% of you answered false. The answer is false. False. No, true, true, sorry. Woo! That's absolutely true. That's what you call the beginning of heresy right there. Every major heresy in the church started with some preacher talking using a monitor. See, I was looking, I'm gonna give this away. I was looking at the answer to the second question and not thinking about what I was saying. Which just goes to show, you know, this is good for you. I always want to give you application. Whenever you're preaching, pay attention to what you're saying. There we go. How about we start over? 93% of you got it right. 7% of you got it wrong. And the answer is true. God the Father and Jesus Christ are equally divine. Oh, my goodness. Sherwood Forest, bless you. Okay, here we go. Number two. I've already given this one away. Jesus is partially divine and partially human. The answer is false. The answer is false. And 15% of you answered true. 85% answered false. Jesus is fully God, as Paul tells us here. It is also at the same time fully man. The Word became flesh. The Scripture says the eternal Word of God, the eternal Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And He is uh, fully human and fully divine without any mixture or confusion of the two. Let's go to number three. God the Son is uncreated. 53% answered true, 47% answered false. You were kind of split on that. The answer is true. He is uncreated. He has always existed. Now, I know we're close to Christmas, and you're thinking about his birth at Bethlehem, but uh, the question is, is God the Son created or uncreated? He is uncreated. He has always existed, always existed. Number four, the Holy Spirit is a force or a power. Now, this one really surprised me. 63% of you said true and 37% said false. It is false. The Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He can be grieved. Uh, he, he can be lied to. He is a person, has a personality, has uh, the capacity to undertake endeavors himself. He works. He leads. He is a person, not a power. 
You cannot grieve or upset electricity. Electricity has power. The Holy Spirit is not just electricity. He is, he is the third person of the Trinity, to be sure, and he does give to God's people power. No question about it, but he is not power. He is a person. He is not power. He is a person. Number, number, number. I'm not as bold as I once was. Number five, the Holy Spirit is less divine than the Father and the Son. Now, this is curious to me. One percent of you said true, and 99 percent of you said false. So, um, you, you got that right. And, and uh, so it's important. Just go on and let's say the Holy Spirit is not a power. He is a person and he is fully divine, just as the Father and the Son are fully divine. Finally, and this one was another surprising one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three names for one divine person. Whew, I've, got, I've got some teaching to do. 75% of you said true and 25% of you said false. It's false. There is one, one God, one being who manifests himself in three persons. One essence, three persons. And uh, that is a challenge for, uh, for us to try to grasp. We try to make God fit into what our minds can handle, which is a bit... Um, impossible. God is, is infinite. He lives on a level that you and I can't fully grasp. That is why he sent Jesus so that we could grasp who he was. But in terms of understanding what he is like, his word tells us that he is uh, one essence. There is one God who has manifest and reveals himself as three persons. And so he, each of the three persons share the same nature, undivided, and uh, each of them is distinct and distinguishable, and, and part of what makes worship rich and prayer rich and uh, living deep is when you understand each of the roles of the three persons of the Trinity. Uh, that is why I would recommend for many of you, the Trinity, the whole notion of it has been confusing. I would recommend this book to you, What is the Trinity by David F. Wells. Our staff was... Um, uh, shocked that anyone could explain the Trinity in a book that small, but it's just a, an introduction. But if you've always wondered, and if you want to go deeper in your relationship with Christ, I, I would encourage you, begin to study and understand the three persons who make up the Trinity and the God who is one, and the God who is one, and the God who is one. All right. So at Sherwood Forest, uh, listen to me, uh, 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 Mr. A.J. Highsmith, uh, I want you to find one person sitting on the front row there at Sherwood Forest. I want you to go get one of these books. I want you to give it to them just as I am giving it to this lady right here right now. You see, there's always some benefit to sitting on the front row. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. All right, here we go. I want you to, to uh, take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. You'll find that on page 983 in the worship Bibles provided for you there at Sherwood Forest. Uh, I, uh, as you come in at uh, the Clemens campus, it is underneath the seat in front of you or underneath your seat. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, page 983. 
83, page 983. All right, so in this passage from uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, we find ourselves engaging one of the most profound descriptions of Jesus to be found in the New Testament. And to this point, we've seen that in this description, Paul has identified Jesus as the image of the invisible God and as the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. As the image of God containing the fullness of God, Paul doesn't mean that Jesus is a mere reflection of, of God. He doesn't mean that he's a mere representation of God. What he means is that he is the revelation of God. He is the manifestation of God. He is God come to earth. And we've seen that what this means is this. It means that everything we need to know about God and everything we can know about God, we find in Jesus and in Jesus alone. He is God's final and best word about himself. And secondly, this means that because Jesus is God, Jesus is supreme over all things and over all people. And because he is supreme over all things and all people, he is also sufficient for all things. He is sufficient for all things. And that means he is sufficient for all that our world is facing. He is sufficient for all that our nation is facing. He is sufficient for all that you are facing because he is supreme over all things. Nothing happens in human history or happens in our individual lives uh, that can keep him from ultimately accomplishing what he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are committed to achieving. But there's more, and Paul points us to that as we press our way through this profound description of who Jesus is. There's more. Paul tells us more about what his supremacy and his sufficiency ultimately mean. And so we want to return to what Paul had to say in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and... I want to warn you about something before we get any further. Some sermons are mind-boggling because they're so confusing, we can't understand them. I never preach those kinds of sermons, ever. Some sermons, no matter how clear they may be, are mind-bending. Today's message is going to be mind-bending. Not because of the preacher, but because of the text. So I want to warn you, I need for you to listen very carefully. I need your full attention. I need for you to be awake. Now, if you don't have coffee, I'm not asking you to go out in mass and come back in mass. It's too late for that. But be as awake as you can. I give you permission to jab your neighbor on either side to make sure they're awake. This is going to be not mind-boggling. This is going to be mind-bending. Are you ready? This is not going to be mind-boggling. This is going to be mind-bending. Are you ready? Are you sure? Yes. Are you positive that you're sure? Yes. Am I getting on your nerves? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's mixed. But I'm going with 70% said no and 30% said yes. That's what I'm going with. That's my personal count. Now, 
All right, I want everyone, we're going to read this passage together. Everyone at Sherwood Forest, let's read this passage together. Here we go. Here we go. It's on the screen. Stay with me. Let's read this together. Ready? Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Very good, very good, very good. Now, we've seen together that uh, uh, with this passage, we're able to talk about who Jesus is. And today, I want to speak to you about who Jesus is in terms of his status, the place that he takes in relation to all things. Now, place or status has to do with one's position or one's rank in relation to others. And every single one of us is very conscious of position and rank. Part of the way we understand who we are is how other people treat us. Now, we may want to say, I'm not concerned about my status. I'm not concerned about my place. And some of us will say, I don't care what other people think. And I would just simply respond humbly, lies, all lies. I mean, you just try it. There you are at Starbucks. You're in a long line at that counter, and you're waiting to pay $150 for a latte. And there you are, you're ready for that, you know, that pumpkin spice, uh, neutro brewed uh, latte, wow. I think that's like $300, but you know, don't worry about it. All right, so there you are, you're standing to buy that $150 cup of, 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 uh, uh, of, of espresso with water. There you are, you're standing there. How would you feel if the barista, you know, there are two baristas, they're working and they're moving people through, they're moving people through, and there you come up in your next in line and, and the barista looks past you and says, I'll take the next person. I'll take the next person. Will the next person please come? And you come and you say, no, I'll take the next person, please. What am I, you say, I'm, am I chopped liver? What, what is, my, my money's no good? Oh, you would be so offended. You would be so offended you'd call for the manager, but nobody pays any attention to you. You can't talk to the manager. It would make you absolutely livid. Why? Because you're very conscious, ultimately, of your status, of your place. You may not want to be treated better than others, but you don't want to be treated less, right? So we're all concerned about whether people gives us thumbs up on our Facebook postings, our hearts on our Instagrams. We, we, we sometimes measure ourselves by the responses we get because our sense of ourselves is tied to things like this because they kind of show us our place in the world. 
But what is the ultimate status of Jesus in relation to the universe, to the world, to us? We've said that he's God, but, but what does that mean in a world where people still belittle him, when people still ignore him? We said that Jesus is God, but what does that actually mean for us as we live our lives in this world? What does it mean to say that he is supreme, and what does it mean to say that he is all-sufficient ultimately? Remember, I've said to you, we'll never know what to do with this life so unusually lived until we know these kinds of things. What we know about Jesus' status determines how we ultimately relate to him. And Jesus says how we relate to him has ultimate significance. It determines not only the quality of our lives here and now, but it determines the quality of our eternities. So today we want to continue to unpack Paul's explanation of who Jesus is. And as we've seen in, in uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, <clears throat> Paul gives us three pictures of Jesus as the God we abandoned and the life giver we lost and the peacemaker that we need. Last week we saw together the, the, God, the picture of Christ as the God that we abandoned. Today we want to see him in this picture as the life giver that we lost. And there in these passages that we'll be studying together, we see him as the beginning of all life in creation. We see him as the end goal of all life in creation. And he's presented to us as the source of all life in creation. And today I want us to spend some time looking at Christ as the beginning of all life, the beginning of all creation because I realize I can't do any more because this is one of those mind-bending sermons. So we're going to stay right here. Are you ready? Okay. Let's get started. Verse 15b, the beginning of all life and creation. Verse 15b to 16. The Scripture says, For he is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, I want you to notice with me, our passage begins by describing Christ's relationship to all of creation, and then it explains what this means, and that's where it becomes not mind-boggling, but mind-bending. First, our, our passage says that Christ's relationship to creation is that of firstborn. He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, what does that mean? In, in the ancient world, the phrase the firstborn had two, conveyed two different meanings. It could convey two different meanings, could be used in two different ways. It could be used to refer to the firstborn son in a family who in, in uh, those days would naturally inherit all of his father's role and power and authority in the family. And so to speak of the uh, rights of a firstborn was to speak of the, the role that he would receive, the power he would receive, and the authority he would receive when the father passed on. But the, uh, the phrase the firstborn could also be used to describe the uh, superiority of, of an individual uh, among others. So that, for example, in the Old Testament, David is called God's firstborn king. He is described as a superior king to all the kings who would come, save one, of course, his descendant, Jesus. But he is described as God's firstborn. David was the youngest in his family. 
And so the firstborn and in the first use didn't apply to him, but yet that same phrase is applied to him because of his superiority. He was superior in the class known as kings of Israel. Does that make sense? He was superior. Now, which one of these applies to Jesus here? Is it the first or the second? Well, verse 16 tells us which one applies. Verse 16 says, for by him, he is the firstborn of all creation. Why? How? Because verse 16 by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Now this is important. This is very, very important. You see the, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and the fourth century Arians all said and maintained that Jesus was the first of God's creations that he was the greatest of God's creations and that it was because he was the first and greatest of God's creations that he is known as the first born. And that is uh, an ancient heresy, one that's continued to this day by Jehovah's Witnesses. But uh, I want you to see with me, Jesus cannot be this and must be this because of what the scripture says about him in verse 16. It says that by or through him, all things were created. Everything that was created was created by him. He cannot be part of creation and be creator at the self same time. And so what we're seeing is this announcement of the superiority of Christ as creator over all things that have been created. Now, I want you to see the extent of this. This is important. I want you to see the extent of this. I want you to see with me that it includes both the realms, the created realms we can't see and the created realms that we can see. We can see. Notice, when the scripture says by him or through him as the agent of creation, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, it's pointing to those two realms and it is announcing Jesus as the Lord over all and particularly as Lord over all of life. Now I want you to see something with me. This passage absolutely pleads with us to see it as it is and to think deeply about what it says and about how extensive the creative work of Christ is and was and how extensive his lordship is. All things includes, this passage says, spiritual creatures or spirits which are powerful, which govern, which rule and exercise authority uh, on, in, in this world and even beyond in a world we cannot see. They are what the thrones, dominions, rulers and authorities refer to. They are spiritual powers which are at work in ways that we're, all, we're often only dimly aware of. All things then includes angels and Satan and his fallen angels, demons, of course, in saying that Jesus created these spiritual powers, it doesn't mean he created them evil any more than he created us as sinners. We chose to sin, and thus we are sinners. Uh, he created them as spiritual powers. Without evil, they chose to be evil, and that's important to see. But the point is, Jesus is creator of a realm that impacts us that is largely invisible to us. At the same time, Jesus is the creator of all things that we can see. 
And so the point ultimately is this. Everything we can see and everything in existence we can't see owes its origins to Jesus. He is the agent of all creation everywhere. And everything in existence is finally his by virtue of his creative work. I love this quote from uh, Abraham Kuyper, who was uh, uh, one time prime minister of, uh, was the Dutch prime minister and also a theologian. Describing Jesus, he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine, mine. Every aspect of every realm, seen and unseen, ultimately, finally belongs to him. Why? Because he created it. He created it. Now, it's in the realm of the scene that our minds begin to bend when we try to think about what this passage actually says about Jesus and his creation of the heavens and the earth. Here we go. Are you ready? Sit up. Go ahead and poke your neighbor just to make sure they're here because it's going to take. And if your neighbor's a ways away, just, just look at them. Here we go. Are you ready? This is where the mind-boggling becomes mind-bending. All right. He created everything that we can see and everything we experience. All right. Let's start with our solar system. Here we go. Our solar system consists of our star, which we know as the sun, and all the orbiting planets, including our Earth, along with some numerous moons and asteroids and comet material and some rocks and dust. That's our solar system. But our solar system is tiny compared to our galaxy, the Milky Way. Our sun is just one star in the Milky Way among some 400 billion stars that are found in the Milky Way galaxy. Our sun is one among 400 billion. So how big, how big is the, the Milky Way? It's big. Did you get a straw when you came in? Okay, I want you to pull your straw out. Unless you're just, did you notice they're not plastic? We don't want any turtles getting straws stuck up in their noses. Hey, this is my father's world, right? You got your straw? All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that straw and I want you to look through it and I want you to find a spot on the ceiling. I want you to find it. Hold it there. Hold it there. Because right now you're being photographed because we want to use this. Ah, look at that. Come on, come on, come on. Just find one spot, one spot. All right. Do you, do you see that one tiny spot? Can you see it? Some of you are having trouble. If you take that tonight and there's a clear sky and you look into the sky with that straw, you have just captured 10,000 galaxies. (laughs) 
this is going better than I thought. Can you come back for the next service and do the same thing? Perfect. Might even be a free book in it for you. 10,000 galaxies. But, But how big is our galaxy and how big? If we were to shrink down our sun to the size of a grain of salt, Okay? Now, see, I've got way too many sons in there. You're going to have to trust me on this. I know you can't see this grain of salt. I can barely see it, but I'm going to get rid of these, all these other suns or stars. I mean, there's 400 billion in our galaxy. What, you know, lose a, who cares? I mean, they're everywhere. Okay, you're going to have to trust me. I've got one. There you are. That's our sun. Now, I want you to hold your hand out. Will you do that? Pretend like you've got one grain of sand in the center of your hand. Come back here, son. Okay. All right. Now, go an inch from the middle of your hand and, and draw a circle. If we shrunk, keep, keep going. That's Pluto. That's Pluto. If we were to shrink the sun down to the size of a, of a grain of salt, or a grain of sand, that would be the size of our solar system. Okay, you got that in front of you? Now, here's what I want you to see. Our galaxy, if we shrunk our sun to the size of a, uh, a grain of salt, our galaxy with 400 billion stars would be the equivalent of the size of North America. So you say, I can't see the sun. No, you're too far away. I mean, think about this just for a minute. You can't see it, and you're, you're in the same room with me. Our galaxy is the size of North America. All right. Nobody's going to miss it. Nobody's going to miss our solar system. I mean, we've got so many. So, so how, how big is our galaxy compared to, to others? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because I did research on that. The Milky Way isn't the only galaxy, and it doesn't come close to being the largest. Whereas our galaxy has 400 billion stars, some spiral galaxies have more than a trillion stars, and giant elliptical galaxies have 100 trillion stars. And what is more, astronomers estimate on the basis of work done with tools like NASA's Hubble telescope that there are around 170 billion galaxies. In the universe we can see. And experts calculate that a rough estimate of all the the universe we can see would mean that there are this many suns. That's one septillion, in case you're wondering. That's more money than Bill Gates has.
which is, as a man said, you know, I had a man who was doing what you just did right over here. And he said, that's a lot. I said, there we go. That was the whole point. That is a lot. That is a lot. We have one septillion stars belonging to an untold number of galaxies. So here is what we know. We are minute little creatures standing on the surface of our speck of a planet in a tiny little solar system itself dwarfed by the hundreds of billions of stars found in our galaxy, which is itself dwarfed by the billions of galaxies all located in what little of the universe we can see. I can't see you. I can't see me. I can't see the United States of America. I can't see Democrats. I can't see Republicans. And if this little solar system of ours completely went away, Nobody would miss it. That's what we know. But here's what we need to know. The one who created all of it has found us. He has come to us. He lived for us. The one who rightly says, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of the universe over which I, as sovereign creator of all, don't cry mine. The one who holds not a solar system, not a galaxy, but the entire universe in his hand. This is the one who died for us as a common criminal on our little speck of a planet. He died in our place so that we might have the chance to live. It 
If Jesus Christ has the right to lay claim to all of the universe, seen and unseen, every one of the 170 billion galaxies that we know about, hasn't he the right to lay claim as Lord to all of you and to all that you have? You see, there are many of us who are glad to celebrate and welcome Jesus as King, as God's King come to rescue, as God's King come to save. A lot of us who celebrate his rescue, but who in reality have never really truly celebrated or welcomed him into their lives as Lord. Lord over all, who made himself Lord for all. You see, you can call Jesus king without making Jesus Lord. And I'm wondering whether Jesus, when he sees your life, And all that he has put in your hands. I'm wondering whether Jesus, who is Lord, can say, there is not one square inch of this life that I cannot claim and use as my own. There are many of us who claim him as our king. But the question is, do we recognize him as the Lord? My hope and my heart is from this day forward, you will never utter those words again without a deeper and better understanding of what it is to say, Jesus is Lord of all. Because when you start to bend your mind around what that means, it can only cause you to fall on your knees and say, I cannot believe that you would pay attention to us. And I can't believe you would give attention to me. The psalmist got it right when he said, What is man 
that you're mindful of him. And the son of man that you visit him. Nobody would miss us if we suddenly disappeared in this vast Milky Way of ours, much less the universe, and still he came. When you stretch out before you all that God has given to you, your gifts, your abilities, your time, your money, Does Jesus have it all? He didn't just come to save you. He didn't just come as Savior. He came as Lord, for that is who he is. And we have a choice. Either we will live now acknowledging him as he really is or we will do it later. Today we have the opportunity. Later it will be by compulsion. There's coming a day, the scripture says, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess not that Jesus Christ is king but that Jesus Christ is Lord. We say it now or we say it later, but we will say it. Does he have all of you there is to have? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all across the room? You know, I realize there are bound to be people in this, in this room for whom this view of the cosmic Christ coming to die is new. That he would die on the cross to take away sin so that we might live even though we didn't deserve it is at the very heart of what Christians call the gospel, the good news. And for some of you, that is new. You've always wanted someone to love you deeply and love you well. But this exceeds 
all your expectations. And I get that. Because it was when I began to understand that that he captured my heart and my life as well. For some of you, life has been empty and frustrating and without real purpose or meaning. And the story of your life has been the story of struggle, of putting up fronts, of hungering for life but never being able to find it. And somehow deep in your heart you have known you, you needed someone greater than yourself. You've tried to find him or her in a, all kinds of ways. It's not happened. The creator of the universe, Jesus himself, came for you, but he comes to you today and offers to give you himself and to give you the life you've looked for all of your life. It begins when you acknowledge your sin and when you are finally ready to say to him, you be Lord. You lead. I'll follow. Today I want to give you the opportunity to take that step. Sitting here on this little speck of a planet And that short little life that is yours, the creator of the universe calls you to spend eternity with him. So today, where you are, as you are, go to him and simply say to him, Lord Jesus, here is my little life. Here are my sins. I turn from them and I turn to you. I ask you to forgive me. Though I don't understand it, I believe you're the Lord of all creation and yet you died for me. Be my Savior, but also be my 
Lord. Take all of me. From this point on, I belong to you. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want to ask you to look up and look at me. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want to ask you to look up and look at me. Your next and greatest step is to let us come alongside you and help you. Begin to understand this new relationship with God that you've come to. In just a minute, we're going to receive an offering and I'm going to ask you to do something unusual I'm going to ask you to take a piece of paper I don't care what it is where you get it from the back of the, of the chair in front of you or from your notes write your name and the best way for us to contact you email, phone number and we're going to help you take that next step. Your life, though small, matters to the God who made you. And that is our commitment to you. Now for those of you who have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you recognize that he is not Lord over all of your life. But today you want to give him all of your life afresh. I want to challenge you to take that step this morning to give him all of you holding nothing back because if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And to mark this fresh surrender, I want to ask you to stand where you are and simply say, Jesus is Lord. And you can begin now. Out loud, speak it. Everything I have, all that I am. Father God, for all that you have done in Christ, 
Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us. For the mind-bending ways in which you have come, we thank you and bless you. And we pray, Lord God, that from this day forward we will not acknowledge your lordship as tritely or as easily as we have in the past, but, Lord God, that you would cause us more and more to stand in awe of who you are and what you've done. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.